This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 29th of September 2021. And Norman, at the moment, if you want to screen for whether whether or not someone's got COVID-19, there's sort of two ways you can do it. For low-risk people, you basically tick a box saying, no, I don't have COVID symptoms, which feels like maybe if you wanted to, to do that thing, you might just tick that box anyway. Or the other side of it is that you get a PCR test where they stick something up your nose and then that gets sent off to a lab and then it comes back a day or so later. And then we've we've talked a bit before on this podcast about sort of a halfway point between these two things, a rapid antigen test where you've still got to stick something up your nose, but it doesn't take a day or two. It takes maybe 15 or 20 minutes to come back. And yesterday, the TGA has sort of approved the first step in the process for those to be able to be used at home here in Australia. So what does that mean for what our journey with COVID looks like in the coming months? So what the TGA has said, and it's important to understand what the TGA does, the TGA just doesn't go and improve anything unless there's a sponsor. So somebody has to sponsor a product going on the market. So that's usually the manufacturer, but it could be an agent. And so they can't just say, yep, we're going to approve these tests to go on the market. Somebody's got to say, I want my test to go on the market for home use. And then the TGA considers that application. So there's not much point in them approving something if the manufacturer doesn't want to actually sell it in Australia. So what they've said is from the 1st of October, producers or agents of manufacturers who are wanting to sell rapid antigen tests to people to use at home can start applying for that and with the aim that they would be available from around about the 1st of November. So that's what they've approved. Now the rapid antigen test, you're right, it gets the result very quickly. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's even a bit less than that. And just so we can explain what happens with rapid antigen testing. So unlike a PCR test, which is actually looking for the genetic material of the virus and multiplies it up to see if you can detect it even in very small amounts, the rapid antigen test looks for actually part of the virus itself, a much bigger chunk of the virus, and directly tests for that. And it's a bit like a pregnancy test. So you, uh, what you do is you do, and most of them you would do a nose swab. Um, you put the nose swab in a little vial and mix it around and squeeze it out, take it out, put a little stopper on, shake it and twi- flick it. And then you put a couple of drops into a cassette, a little plastic thing, a bit like a pregnancy test. And if it comes up with some of the tests, if it comes up with a red line, it's negative and a red line and a black line, it's, it's positive. And there's various ways of actually representing that. That's one of the ways of doing that. But it's very simple, very straightforward to do, very hard to make a mistake in, in doing it. So why do we what what purpose do they serve in terms of Australia's journey forward with COVID? Well, if you look at how it's, they're used overseas, there are really three uses. The first thing that has to be said is that they are if you use them, say, a couple of times a week on a regular basis they're very accurate at predicting when you're actively infectious. So they're not so good before when you're asymptomatic, but when you're you know, picking you up when you're positive before you become infectious. But when you're actively infectious, they're very good if you're actually doing it more than once a week. A single antigen test is only 80% accurate at picking up whether or not you're actively infectious. But if you're doing them every two or three days they are very accurate, almost 100% accurate at picking up whether you're actively infectious. So they are not replacements for PCR testing when you've got an outbreak. So they continue. But this is a process where if you're working in a vulnerable setting like aged care 
if you are in hotel quarantine or quarantine, you've been there for a few days and you've been doing rapid antigen testing and you're remaining negative, then that might allow you to return more safely into the community. And in in the United Kingdom, they've been doing with school kids attending school. So in other words, it's a way of screening people who might be exposed to COVID and only isolate them when they're actively infectious. What they've shown in a pilot study in Liverpool in Britain was that it saved about 3,500 days of staff time that would otherwise have been spent in isolation or in furlough and people could actually continue going to work. Because people didn't have to wait to get their results back. They could get them back within 15, 20 minutes instead of days. Getting back within 15, 20 minutes and you're, you're doing these much more frequently than you would use PCR tests and gives you an accurate idea of, of whether or not you can safely go to work or indeed going to visit family or attending other events. So there's lots of uses of rapid antigen testing. The problem is they've got to be taken to some extent on trust, although there are apps attached to some of these rapid antigen testing kits, which then can show that you've done the test. So then if you get a positive test on a rapid antigen test, you then need to go and get a proper PCR test to show whether or not that's a true infection. Yes, you do need to go and do a PCR test. It almost certainly will be a true infection, but the PCR test allowed you to be integrated into the system, allows contact tracing to find you, and it allows for genomics to be done on your sample to find out which variant you've got, because you cannot do that on a rapid antigen test because it's not a genetic test, whereas the PCR test is. So the decision to approve them, it looks like it's going to coincide with around the same timing where we're going to start easing restrictions once we reach that 70 to 80% vaccination target. So this is really one of the partner strategies, I suppose, in helping Australia reopen safely. That's right. And, and, and being as least restrictive as we possibly can be. So if you've got the possibility of rapid antigen testing at home, then it allows for a different kind of monitoring if you're coming in from overseas, perhaps. Maybe you would do a PCR before you get on the plane overseas. Um, you might do a PCR test after you get off the plane. Again, if you're asymptomatic and you might be infectious but thereafter you might do rapid antigen testing to check that you've not become infectious afterwards. Again to control when there's an outbreak on to control access to events and uh, certain workplaces and so on there's lots of things that you could do there or if you're going to visit a vulnerable relative in hospital and you want to make sure you don't have COVID-19 and you're doing that on a regular basis you might do regular rapid antigen testing at home. So how does, it, how does the cost of them compare to a PCR test? For a PCR test, the reimbursement is usually about $85. So that's what the government reimburses the pathology service. A rapid antigen test is around about $10 or $15, maybe a little bit less, depends on how you're buying it. And some countries in the world are providing free rapid antigen tests to people at home. Well, let's take some questions. And speaking of how other countries are doing things, Anne's asking about Singapore reopening with relatively high vaccination numbers, but the case numbers there are rising. They've reintroduced some restrictions for at least a month to protect the healthcare system. Anne's asking, what can Australia learn from Singapore's experience? Well, Singapore isn't exactly comparable to Australia because they've got a large dormitory population of uh, guest workers. So these are people, lower income people living in very high density housing. Yeah, who are not necessarily Singaporean. They're, they're, they're brought in to do certain jobs and they're, 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 they're guest workers, literally. 
and they live in dormitory. They live in dormitories. It's pretty hard to control outbreaks in those groups. And Singapore is almost like two cities. So you've got the dormitory areas and you've got the city. And often the spread in the city is less than the spread in the dormitory area. So it's, a, it's quite complicated for a very small island and a very small population. But they've been very risk averse and very careful to watch whether or not you're getting overwhelmed in the, in the healthcare system. But so far, it's not been too bad in Singapore. I mean, two countries that we should be watching, which we've mentioned before, are Denmark and Norway, because they've had staged opening, a bit like we're planning. Denmark opened a couple of weeks ago, Norway, Norway over the weekend. And watching what happens there is probably more relevant to Australia than Singapore at this stage. Jerry's asking, whatever happened to fully vaccinated, meaning two doses plus two weeks? Uh, it looks like the national plan and the Premier's uh, language seems to be two doses is it. And Jerry's saying, what about that two-week period being part of the requirement? Is there risk in abbreviating these requirements to being fully vaccinated? I love our corona audience. And Jerry typifies <laughs> the audience asking absolutely the right questions again and again. And that's right. You're not fully covered until about between eight and 14 days varies a bit in terms of what the research says. But to be safe, around about 14 days is when you're fully vaccinated after your previous dose. And um, so we are taking a bit of a shortcut by saying if you've had your second dose, you're fully vaccinated because you're actually not until 14 days afterwards. And one last question, Norman, from Simon, who's keen to go interstate again, asking, when do you, Norman, think you'll feel comfortable boarding an aeroplane? Look, I'd be comfortable right now boarding an aeroplane because they've got HEPA filters, we're wearing masks, and only vaccinated people will be allowed on board, which means there's about a 60 to 80% reduction in the chances that anybody's infected. And the masks will reduce that by another 60 or 70%. So I think um, an aeroplane is a pretty safe place to be. Oh, that's some nice news for a change. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. Send your questions to abc.net.au slash coronacast and we'll catch you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll land in your inbox tomorrow. Ooh.